You're listening to a retro episode of The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a weekly poker podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ in discussions about poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together. This week's topic, Ethics Revisited with Jordan Sweet. Hey Dell, how's it going this week? It's going all right. Silly things make you happy. Got a new washer this week. The old washer was about 18 years old, so now I can actually wash my clothes and not take about three hours to do it. So I'm happy. Clothes are clean. Been a good week, and I'm getting to hang out with you and Jordan today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So I got to go back to this. You got a new washer. Did you also get a new dryer, or are you wearing wet clothes? Well, no, no. The dryer still dries everything within an hour. So, you know, we we got at least two more years out of that. Carrie and I got those early on in our marriage. So they're each about 18 years old. So I'm a little disappointed the washer didn't last two more years to get to 20. So we'll see how the dryer does. Well, I'm glad your washer didn't last two more years. I can't imagine how painful it is taking three hours to wash your clothes. Laundry sucks enough as it is. Laundry is a never-ending chore. And having to wait three hours for your clothes to get clean kind of sucks. So I'm glad you got a new machine. So how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm about one week away from my projects at work being done, and then we can start new projects. The ones I'm doing right now are pretty challenging and swirling around with confusion and chaos, and I'll be happy when they're over. So I'm looking forward to the new projects. Outside of work, things are going well. It was a beautiful weather here. I got to play golf twice, hang out with some good guys. It's been a good week, and we have Jordan on the show now. So, hey, Jordan, welcome back to the show. How's everything going with you? Hey, thank you for having me back. So, uh, last week, I had a chance to go back to Boston. I went to school up there, so that was fun to uh, to go visit the old stomping grounds. Uh, funny laundry story, I actually left my clothes in the uh, dryer to, like, go run some errands the night of my uh, of my flight and came back and realized that it was set to, like, delicates or something. So I go to take stuff out of the dryer and it's like still all wet and gross. So I had to like put it back in and run it at full heat, like super, super hot for like uh, 20, 30 minutes to get the pants that I was (laughs) wearing up there dry. So we all have laundry stories this week. We do. We do. (laughs) I got to take a quick minute and give like a little productivity rant here because my wife is absolutely terrible at doing laundry. She will put the clothes in the washer, leave them there until almost nighttime, and then freak out. Oh no, we got to put them in the dryer. Put them in the dryer, they'll get dry, and then they'll stay in the dryer all night long, and then they're wrinkled. Here's what you do. Everybody carries their phone around with them. Set a timer on your phone. You probably know how long it takes your washer to finish a load. For Dell, it used to be three hours. That's ridiculous. For most people, it's like 45 minutes. Set the timer for 45 minutes. When it goes off, go downstairs, switch it over, Your dryer takes, what, an hour, hour 20? Set your timer. Go back. Do it all in order, in series, the same day. That way you don't have to worry about wet clothes, wrinkly clothes, and forgetting about it. We have these phones. Use them, people. For everybody who would like to respond to BJ's critique of how they do laundry, his email is... Yes. Oh, and I will fight you for this. By the way, every single dishwasher has an optimum way to load it. I will fight you on that as well. (laughs) Something that we want to fight about on this show, though, is ethics. And we're having an ethics revisited episode. I'm glad Dell and Jordan are here. We talked about this in our anniversary episode. One of the things we wanted to do in year two 
was revisit the episode on ethics. So this is our chance to do it. Let's go ahead and talk about that. Yeah, I kind of want to start. I mean, there's a couple of reasons I wanted to revisit this. First of all, I don't think any of us were happy with the first time we talked about ethics. But the other reason is there's so much that's happened over the last couple of months around ethics, cheating scandals, cheating accusations, RTAs have become a big issue. And all this stuff is going on. And one of the things that I love about a conversation with Jordan is it's not going to be necessarily us agreeing on everything, but we can have a nuanced conversation about this and have slightly different perspectives. But there's just so much out there that's, in my opinion, ethically wrong. It might technically be within the rules. And some people might argue that anybody can do it and therefore it's fair. And I will argue that I'll argue on the other side of it because I think it just makes poker look bad as a whole. And I mean, I'm really excited about this. I think that we're going to do this well this week. So for those who haven't listened to our previous episode on ethics, go back and listen to it. But just to couch it in terms of what ethics is, ethical behavior is typically behavior that is honesty, equity, and fairness in behavior. That comes to be problematic when you're doing a game for money. When there's money at stake, some people throw ethics out the window and they will try to act in a dishonest, inequitable, or unfair way to gain an edge. And so we kind of draw these lines. It's a very gray area of what those behaviors are, what's acceptable, what isn't acceptable. And I know we have some pretty heated ideas surrounding that. So Jordan, you wanted to say something. Well, I think it might just be my contrarian nature, but I feel like I pride myself on being able to find the nuance in a lot of either like debates or arguments, like when it comes to political debates in the country or whatever. I feel like a lot of times some issues are just like blanket statement or generalized as like, that's a bad thing to do. But I, I feel like maybe there are just some nuanced parts of, of some of the discussion that has to do with a competitive game versus like an unfair advantage. And I, I think there's some parts about the issues that Dell spoke about that maybe are just competitive in nature, whereas there are other things that really are just unfair. Well, let, let's start with there. That what's something that is just absolutely unfair and unethical? Yeah. So when you talk about fairness in any competitive game, you're talking about, uh, I guess, access. And uh, in terms of poker, poker is a game of information, right? So then it's fairness as far as the access to information. So like the classic example would be Mike Possel cheating. Like if he has access to whole card information and other people don't, then that's clearly an unfair, unethical thing. You had mentioned RTAs. The access to RTAs and like range charts is available to anyone who wants to use it. There's just a learning curve required to be able to implement those things. So as far as like equity and access, it's fair in the sense of like everyone could do it. So if you then go talk about access as far as like sites allowing them and people going around the rules of what a website puts up, I mean, that's a different discussion. But I think what I'm getting at is in a broad general statement to just say it's totally unethically wrong think is a bit too general, whereas there may be a way to look at it as far as like a competitive or a more competitive version of the game. Yeah, I think that line is going to be going to be different for a lot of people because there, there's some gray area, right? You know, like real-time assistance, RTAs, I think that the majority of people out there are going to tell you that's cheating. 
right? But, you know, and, and maybe not everybody is. I, I agree with you that there are some that are going to say, oh, it's just a competitive advantage. I don't agree with you on that. I don't agree with them on that. But I have sat at my computer with range charts all around me, and I can tell you that there was a time when that was normal in poker that people built their own range charts and they put them all around themselves, be playing 12, 18, 24 tables, and those range charts were integral to them being able to do that. And it was never considered cheating. Well, now you have some sites that say you're not allowed to use range charts. So I think that for me, I can see why it would be considered cheating. But if I've made the range charts, if I've built those ranges, then it's my ranges. I'm just trying to ingrain them into my synapses so I'm playing appropriately. But I can understand that somebody else would say, well, the site says it's not allowed. Well, if I'm on that site, I shouldn't use them because that's the rules of that site, right? But how is a real-time assistance not cheating and how is it not bad for the game? And the reason I ask that is we've been trying to tell people for two decades online poker isn't rigged. We've had people who are convinced it's all rigged. It's all rigged. And here's the thing. The sites aren't rigging it. Please, if you're listening to this right now, there is no site rigging online poker against you. It makes zero sense. It is bad for them. But there are people who are playing with an unfair advantage. And there are people who are, have built bots out there to play and have an unfair advantage, in my opinion. Now, how is that not unfair, Jordan? How is that not unethical? So as you mentioned, you can create your own range chart. You are playing the game based on a strategy that you had predefined before you actually sit down. The uh, The range chart is just kind of helping you along the way. On a very basic level, you could say like the whole point is to know that information, study it, and then it's like taking a test, like an open book test or whatever. Like it's not fair to have a book because then you can just reference the information. The whole point of the test is supposed to be show up and pull the stuff from memory. But you and I both know like the game is is deeper than just adhering to a chart. So it's really to me just then a level deeper if you go and create your own bot. Now like the the obvious response to that is that you go buy a bot online. But like I think the point is in all of what we've seen with artificial intelligence, it's that in order for the computer to do well, like it needs a whole bunch of time to process this information. A lot of the bots out there are really just like the tightest version of a player. And I get that that's just an extension of the whole, well, you're just adding discipline into the game where the whole point of the game is to try and maintain your discipline while you're playing. But that's just really, to me, kind of a boring interpretation of what the game is. I would pose it a different way. I would say that, to me, a lot of people who are playing online are doing it to win money. They want to earn a profit. I would pose the question to BJ maybe as a impartial third party. What does he actually enjoy about poker that, that keeps him going back to Maryland Live? There's some interaction there with other human beings. I don't know if BJ would ever be interested in sitting down and playing online because uh, there's like a, maybe a whole learning curve. Uh, online does play a little bit differently. But to me, the vast majority of people, they're getting online to try and win some money. And I could be completely wrong. There may be a demographic there of people who are like, I would like to be able to play poker and not have to go into the casino. And I would accept the counter that I'm not considering the, I guess, advantage to like not having to leave your house for maybe someone who like just can't leave their house or can't get out to the casino. 
But from what I've seen and what we've seen from like 2006, the poker boom, like a lot of online poker is like, that's where you go to like compete. And like the casino is where you go to like play. So if it's the arena, you're going to play online to be competitive, then it's like you're just adding kind of another level by allowing people to use tools that like everyone else kind of has access. I want to give BJ a chance to answer your question. But before he does, I want to make a couple statements that I think say that you're not, and again, it's nuanced, but you're not 100% correct with what you're saying. There are more women playing online than the percentage of women playing in casinos. There are people like me that honestly, quite frankly, I'll make a lot more money going to the casino than I will playing online. And the problem is the casino is an hour and 20 minutes away and online is a two minute walk from my coffee pot to my office or I can fire up the generator in a truck and play. So, and then there's people with disabilities that struggle to get into casinos that play online. And that's been a good portion of the demographic of unaligned players. So, yeah, sure. I'm sure there are a good portion of people playing online, but it's not just to make money for some people. I'm going to tell you, every one of us plays poker hoping we're going to make money. But some people are just playing to gamble and to have fun. And I'm going to say that those people exist online, too. Go ahead, BJ. Answer his question. (laughs) Sure. So I don't want to take too much time distracting from the ethics topic to talk about why I play live versus why I play online. I generally tend to play online if I'm practicing skills and trying to hone some craft or plug some leaks. I prefer live because I like the social aspect. I like the environment. I tend to do better if I can immerse myself in the situation. If I'm playing golf, I couldn't play golf like we golf where I'm sitting at home on the couch, waving the controller and playing Wii Golf. I need to go there in person. If I try to play online poker and I try to make money, I will be distracted by Hulu, Disney+, YouTube, the fridge, everything that's around me. But if I go to the casino, I can be present. I can be mindful. I can be there in person, paying attention to what's around me, who's doing what, what actions are taking, piece the puzzle together. I have a much better time piecing the puzzle together of each player if I see them in person, in real life, than if I just see them as an avatar on a screen. Also, the action goes way too fast in online poker, so I don't have time to think about the action as deeply as I would like to if I was at live. Now, the awesome thing about online poker is that you get the hand histories right away from Poker Tracker 4. So you get a lot more data that you can then use to like create your ranges and refine your strategy. And for the longest time, I'll be honest, I even thought heads-up displays were kind of unethical and cheating. On the simple end of the spectrum, we're talking about Dell having ranges on his screen to help him as a reference guide for how to construct his pre-flop ranges. On the other end of the spectrum, you have real-time analysis and GTO bots. Somewhere in the middle, probably closer to the simple end, is heads-up display. And a lot of people will fine-tune their heads-up display to mine all the data they have on someone to take a look at a glance and say, oh, your percentage is like 40-14. I'm going to profile you immediately, and I know how to play against you. For the longest time, I thought that was cheating. And for the longest time, I would not play with a heads-up display. To be fair, I actually still don't play with a heads-up display. Because if I can't make the right decisions absent that information, then making the right decisions with that information is a crutch. That's how I see it. Right. So I don't know if you, if you know, but uh, back before Black Friday, 
so like 2010-11 era, you could purchase hand histories in the text file from some sites. And that was like the RTA discussion now. It was, you didn't personally play all those hands, so you shouldn't be able to get that data, which is like a real easy argument to make. But when you analogize it to playing live, how many of you have a conversation with your friend at the casino and you point out like the whale or the loosest player at a table and say like, that's the guy you want to play pots against him. Like it's the same thing, just the heads up display version. You're going to the player pool and you're taking the data and you're looking at all these hands that you personally didn't play, but then you're able to see someone's frequency that you personally didn't play against. And it's not much different than when you walk into a casino and your buddy's like, I've been here for four hours. C5 is like playing every single Yeah, I think that's a large part of the problem here is that there's three of us here and we each have three different lines on where we believe it goes from okay to unethical because I've used a heads up and I, I've had times where I thought it was unethical and now I use it and I feel like if you play online and you don't spend the little extra to get a tracker, you're making yourself at an unfair advantage. So I use that heads up now because I'm going to want to not be at an unfair advantage. But the line is different for each of us, you know, and that's what one of the problems we have here is there's nothing solid to be able to say, this is how everybody feels. Everybody feels this is cheating. I mean, some things are pretty freaking clear. Like, I will not say, like, there's been accusations made recently, and I will not on this podcast say, yeah, that person was cheating because there's no proof. You have this person said, this person said, and there's no evidence. I feel very comfortable in saying Mike Postle cheated. <laughs> you know, we all got to see it. I think that there are some times you can look at it and say, yes, that was absolutely cheating. But most of the time, it's very gray. Where I think it's unethical, Jordan thinks the line's a little different. And BJ thinks the line's a little tighter. And it's really difficult to nail down. All right, so just to, to clarify, like I, I personally am not out there like trying to go push the boundaries of unethical like a, a RTA. But what personally I do find interesting is just that my educational background is in computer science, psychology, artificial intelligence. So I really just get interested in the AI developments around game theory. And when I look at the evolution of these tools in the game, like at range charts that went from cut and paste to customize your own to heads up displays to like now heads up displays are normal to RTA, which then kind of feeds into like an AI. The technology is going to develop whether or not it is like an ethical thing to do. The poker is just a great playground slash sandbox for that technology to develop in. So I personally just get really excited to think about the future of bots playing against other bots and ha having the potential for kind of like battle bots where you have a tournament or a, uh, a cash game style like uh, winner take all where you have seven teams from universities around the world all present their own poker bot and you play it out and see who wins. That would do a lot to progress like artificial intelligence itself as a technology, whether or not that means it's okay for the professor of said winning team to then go jump on like poker stars and, and use his bot to like win a bunch of money. Not really for me to say, but I also just kind of then don't play in that environment. 
I mean, Michigan has plenty of sites. I'm sure there's people that are like using some of that on the sites because it's easy enough to just like have a second machine. But like, I also tend to just not play in some of those pools where I think maybe that's happening. And that's not really the answer because it doesn't solve the problem of that being in the game. If we're going to say that it's like not good for the future of the game, but I personally just get very interested. I want to key in on something that you just said at the last part of that statement. I like the whole thought experiment of poker battle bots and seeing where that's going to take the whole AI industry in years to come. But what you had mentioned at the end was, I don't think that's going to solve the problem of unethical behavior in poker. What are we trying to achieve here? What are we actually looking for in the solution of solving unethical behavior in poker? Dell had just mentioned that the three of us each draw the line differently on where that ethical boundary is. If the three of us can't agree on where that line is, sure as heck, an entire poker community is not going to be able to agree on that. So what are we left with? What are we trying to solve? Where do we go from here? Even though the line is different between the three of us and that if we had 100 people on here, we could probably have 80 different lines or maybe even 100 different lines. The, the reality boils down to this, is that there will be commonalities and there'll be a point of where the greater majority has these certain commonalities. Now, when I say the greater majority, I mean like 66%. That would be a true greater majority where, you know, we can say, we know this is not acceptable in poker. Today, in the future, not acceptable. So I think that it is pretty clear to most people, I don't think Jordan would fit into the greater majority on this, but I think the greater majority would say bots are not ethical. And if you get caught using a bot, we're going to do something about it. And therein lies the stickiest part of this, right? Because I think we can get to that point where we have the commonality uh, amongst the greater majority. But then the question is, is how do we police it? You know, in, in the blacklist has been a big thing that's been mentioned a lot over the past few months. And here's the problem. Who's going to maintain the blacklist? I'm not devoting my time to it. I don't want Jordan doing it because he ain't going to be strict enough. <laughs> you know, you know, so and, and I'm just kidding, Jordan. I don't know how you'd be. But who's going to keep track of that blacklist? Who's going to be the ones to determine that you've crossed that line? And how long is the punishment going to be? Is every punishment equal? Is every crime equal? Obviously not. So where are we going to draw the line? Who who does that? And that's the difficult part that it's like, it can be real easy to get 66 out of 100 people to say bots are unethical. We're going to do something if we catch somebody using a bot. Okay, what are you going to do? We're going to ban them for life. Really? For life? <laughs> okay. To be fair, they do catch bots every now and then. And it, it's like been a badge of honor sometimes for, for people who play online that are very consistent to be like banned for uh, however amount of time because they were like botting and they'll go post and be like, oh, I, I got I got flagged for botting because uh, my frequencies are so tight and consistent that the site couldn't tell the difference between me and a bot, which is like, whatever. Uh, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, it's super hard to police because they're throwing the wrong people in jail, even even in the poker world, like the, the innocent are being, uh, being punished. I think part of it is in the past, poker has been mired in a lot of like sketchy underground kind of stuff. So when people kind of spoke about playing the game or heard other people playing poker, it was kind of like, oh, you're involved in some shady stuff. 
you know, thanks to the WSOP, thanks to a lot of tournament series, and thanks to some great organizations like the WPA, poker is more mainstream. So as the voice of those players gets louder, there's not much choice for people who run rooms or tournament directors to, like, they have to listen to that. So as a, as a group, you just kind of, I think, have these discussions more often. So I don't think the intent of any discussion should be to, like, solve the problem outright, but maybe to just initially start more discussions on the top. Because some people think that it's okay still. Like, I don't think it's far-fetched to say that uh, some people think it's actually okay to start a game, sit down with someone, and, like, fleece them for a bunch of money. They, like, honestly think, well, poker's just a vehicle to do that, and that guy's a sucker. So just the, the more that the conversations happen and we agree as a community, like, that's not a cool thing to do, then I think that starts to maybe solve the problem in itself. Poker is just like everything else in the world. Like, I don't think you're going to regulate every single game ever, right? But, like, you're also not playing in every single game ever. I mean, you have a choice to go to a casino. And Del, I love Dell's point that, like, you can choose to go to the casino to pay rate to have a dealer, like, enforce uh, some rules. I have a fun story for you, too. So I played when I was up in uh, up in Boston. I went to Chasers, actually, on like a last minute. One of the dealers there, there was like a string bet on the table. It was forward motion with both hands. What happened was both hands went forward, and then like the left hand let go of the chips before the right hand let go of the chips. It was all both hands came out at the same time. Left hand stopped first, then right hand. And the bet went out. No one said anything. The player who's the bet is the actions on this player, they were like, was that a string bet? And the dealer was like, I don't know. How did you how did you do it? And like everyone at the table was like, they mimic the actions. And he was like, nah, that's fluid motion. And he literally was like, I don't really think it's my job to call that. Like, if you think it's a string bet, you can go ahead and call it and we'll bring the floor. So because we spoke about it last time, I really wanted to bring that up. As a community, we can have that discussion and the room can change their rules if enough players there say like, hey, you should really start policing that. So uh, there's a couple things about that, okay? I, I want to say this. Like I say that I pay rate for the casino to provide me a, a clean, honest game. That's got to be within reason, like because they can't police everything. Now, I think that one is pretty obviously falls under the responsibility of the dealer to say whether or not it was a string bet. But there are certain things they can't necessarily catch every bit of collusion. They can't catch every little thing that happens. So we have a responsibility to ourselves playing poker, an ethical duty to ourselves, especially if we're playing professionally. We have an ethical duty to our families to protect ourselves because we're making money to provide for our families. And that's how I feel about that. It, you know, I think it's both. It's not like I feel like I pay that rake and I put all the onus on the casino and the dealer. What it really means is I'm not playing underground where I have to worry about somebody showing up with a gun and taking all our money. It means that I'm showing up and I expect that at a casino, if somebody is caught colluding, that the casino will handle that and get them out of there. There's a lot of nuance to it. It's not, none of it's black and white, right? I mean, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of a thought process, right? Like try and, try and create a process to think through those complex things. And your uh, underground game analogy with, you know, someone coming in with a gun, it you know, sounds like a movie, but like even something like that, we can put through a filter, like an ethical thought process filter. And if we're going to define ethical behavior as equitable, fair, and I would say like access to, to the same tools, 
uh, if someone comes in with a gun and you don't have a gun, like that's not fair, right? So it 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 passes through the filter and it fails the ethical test. Now you could also say like, well, if everyone has a gun, that's fair. <laughs> so it like it can be twisted, but I think that's a good at least system, a good thought process and approach to it is you to take the behavior that you're discussing and you pass it through the filter of is this uh, fair? Is it equitable? Does everyone have access to the same information? Because poker, if we're saying is a game of information, then it's different than saying like steroids are unfair in, in baseball because you could use my own words against me and say, well, everyone could just take steroids. But taking steroids has a physical consequence. So it's not the same. Like I am maybe not willing to risk the same physical consequence and, and pull that it would take on my body as someone else might. So then taking steroids passes through that ethical filter and it comes out uh, the wrong side of that's not um, equitable, it's not fair, it's not the same act. Right. So there's like 20 things there. I want to respond to all of them and I'm going to miss at least half of them. I want to start with the, it sounds like it's in a movie. I just want to make clear, it, it, yeah, it sounds like it's in a movie. We watch that on most of us, if we go play an underground game, never have to worry about that, right? But Doyle Brunson's been mugged three different times coming home from the casino and he, I mean, I grew up in New York. I'm familiar with a lot of the, the stories of, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's actually been in a in a game where they broke in and robbed the place. So it can happen, right? I don't want to get off too much on that. I just, uh, but I will say that, like, the whole notion of anybody can do it, therefore it's fair, that would be true. Not anybody can do it. Like, for example, not everybody can play with a heads-up display. Maybe, you know, that person had 50 bucks, they put it on their account, and they can't afford the money to buy a poker tracker for or hold a manager. They can't have that heads-up display. Or it might be an ethical issue. Like in BJ's case, BJ can't play with a heads-up because he just doesn't feel it's right. So it's not fair because he can't do it, <laughs> you know? Well, he chooses not to. I mean... All right. So so wait a minute. Uh, again, give me just a second. All right. Is it a choice or when when you feel like the the core integrity of who you are is challenged by it, is it still a choice? Because in my opinion, it's not. Like, I will not sacrifice my core integrity. Right. I totally get what you're saying. I also don't want to sound insensitive, but at a certain point, it is just a game. So I have trouble getting to the same level, I think. But I also... In the context of, of my experience with like pro professional work environments, I uh, have had to deal with some very complex issues. So to me, like poker is a lot more relaxed version of being able to make a living than like being in the military or being responsible for people's like careers by making a management decision or whatever. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I, I understand what you're saying, but I also feel like that's a very strong opinion to have about playing a game and for sure there's a ton of money on the line for people that are playing for like millions of dollars but i also could see that like if it's the question of earning a million dollars or playing fairly like i'm glad i'm not stressing over that decision because i personally be swayed towards making a million dollars if it's not you know illegal so i think that's a very very tough question for me to like personally kind of answer. So I prefer to enjoy the parts of the game that are fun to me and not like uh, get bogged down with the ethical dilemma of whether I'm doing something wrong. So I don't want to put myself in a situation. Just to put a bow on this briefly, I could use a heads-up display. 
The reason I don't is because when I play online, I play as a trading tool to hone my skills for live poker. If I'm not going to have a heads-up display when I play live poker at Maryland Live, it doesn't help me to play with a heads-up display online. If I'm training myself to play, I'm going to train myself without a heads-up display. That's pretty much where I came down on it. It wasn't so much an ethical decision, although I do kind of think it's interesting how we've slid over the years onto how much information is available and allowable when you play a game. But that, that's why I don't use a HUD. I think something that's worth bringing up as far as the poker community and, and discussing ethics in the game is the some of the loud voices in the community have been involved in unethical activity and behavior, right? And it's not that it's normal. It's just some people are maybe a, a bit more abrasive personalities. And there's no rule in, in poker that says, like, you can't be a jerk. There's, there's plenty of people out there that, that other players don't like, right? Uh, so what, what would Phil do if he couldn't be a jerk? <laughs> right? So, like, there's some things that are clearly, like, that we don't even have to talk about. There's some things that are clearly unethical in the sense of, like, running a stable and having your horses, like, soft play against each other in big tournament fields. Like, we don't even really need to discuss whether that's okay or not. Like, it, everyone would agree that it's not okay. But we still have people playing that are like uh, sometimes abrasive personalities with with opinions that people don't agree with and they've just been a part of the community for a while and i don't think there's a lot of pushback in the past as far as like hey what you're doing is bad it's just like i don't like that guy i'm just going to prefer to to think that he's like jerk so i think the way to get around some of these issues is that we can just be a little bit more open uh, with the conversations maybe it you know it might be can't speak for everyone an issue of like people not wanting to risk stepping out and like getting ridiculed. But I think we see more and more like good guys in the game talking about like good behavior and maybe calling out people that are doing the wrong thing. I would like to repurpose the phrase good for the game. Typically, when you hear someone say that someone's good for the game, it's because they're loud and boisterous and splashy and they love action. They bring the action with them. I would like to repurpose that phrase to say, ethically, these people are good for the game. They promote a healthy, safe, fun environment for everybody to enjoy. That's what good for the game should be. You know, that's that's actually a really good point in the sense of like, what's the purpose of the conversation? If there's just one thing, maybe that's like a call to action, it's let's take BJ's advice and change the meaning of good for the game from, oh, that guy's a player who's easy to beat to, wow, that's someone who really brings poker out into the mainstream and is like an ambassador. So I would like to address something. You you guys both have crushed me tonight on on something. You've you've like devastated me referring to poker as just a game, both of you. And I've never been so hurt by the two of you. But (laughs) (laughs) one of the things that I think about is that it's funny because the ethical line can also change based on who somebody's playing against. And and because I mentioned his name it brought it to the forefront. We all watched what Phil did on the live stream there, the I didn't fold and the whole just pay me $5,000. If he were playing against a group of professionals, I think all of us would agree that that was ethical behavior because everybody would understand the situation. He was playing against a bunch of amateurs and none of them understood that situation. And I think that like back to what BJ was saying, you know, somebody being good for the game. 
I think if you ask Phil, he, he would tell you he believes with all his heart that he's good for the game. And at one point he might have been, but I don't think he is anymore. I think he ends up being that thing that people look at when they say, this is why poker is bad. Nobody is watching that who is new to poker and thinking that that's a good way to treat somebody. That's the caveat on that, because that game, that stream was a pretty great example of what I was trying to say in that it's still just a game. Because I, I totally understand that people, professionals that are playing to earn a living are treating the game very seriously. I mean, I study a ton. But I know Dell, they treat the game very seriously. So I don't at all mean to say like, oh, it's just a game, it means nothing. But what I mean to say is there are still people who are playing for fun at a very high level. There was a lot of money on that table. And there's some people that play for a lot of money. The comedian Kevin Hart plays some big games. I know he's has an affinity for poker. He likes to play now. He's he's gotten very good, but you can see him on some Poker Go streams or, or episodes where Kevin Hart just has a lot of money. He likes to play, so he was willing to lose a lot of money. So the point I'm getting at is that those of us that are able to play for a living are able to play a game. But it's like the Spider-Man quote, with great power comes great responsibility. If you're going to step into that arena as a professional, I think we need to accept that there's a responsibility to be good for the game in the sense of professional players should be making the game comfortable for people who are there to play games. So like I all the time will say that I like to play because I'm competitive, but I'm competitive against you. I'm competitive against BJ. I'm competitive against Seabass and like other players that I get to like needle and really like apply a lot of theoretical nuanced advanced stuff to, but I'm not sitting down at the local uh, casino and then just like trashing people who don't know what they're doing. I'm also there kind of to have some fun and make money playing a game. I'm not going there and thinking that like, I'm not doing like a WWF uh, entry being like, I'm going to crush all of you. I mean, it's just not, it's not fun for anyone. With great poker power comes great poker responsibility. <laughs> yeah. So Jordan, I, I just need to point out in the future, all corny superhero comments are the realm of BJ. No, he's got, he, I don't have the corner on that. Jordan can do it. <laughs> I don't have anything else that I can think of right now. Do you, Jordan? You, BJ? I think this has been a great episode. This is way better than our last one. Not to discourage anyone from listening to our archives and checking out the first one, but I think this was a lot better. Yeah, I do too. Thanks, Jordan, for taking time to join us. Thank you. I hope you both have a good night. You too, Jordan. It's great. You too. Thanks, Del, for joining me. Thank you. And until next week, stick to the plan and may all your variants be positive. This has been The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. If you haven't already done so, consider subscribing. And when you're not counting your chips, take a moment to leave the guys a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get yours.